This is episode number 16 with Eric Basic and Mike Gallardo. Welcome to American Snippets, your source for inspirational, motivational, and selfless stories and interviews from exceptional people across the nation. And now, here's your hosts, Barb Allen and Dave Brown. Hey, what's going on? Dave Brown here, co-founder of American Snippets. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm, I'm here with my co-host, Barbara Allen, and we are really excited to have this show for you today and to have the, the two guests that we have for you today. That's right. We just don't have one featured guest. We have two, Eric Basic and Mike Gallardo. And just like the, the other people that we feature here on the American Snippets podcast, uh, Eric and Mike are extraordinary folks who are taking massive action and who are taking the necessary steps to achieve their dreams. And they're doing this while they're influencing their communities and making a bigger impact in the lives of others. And by telling you all about the ways that, that these people are giving back to their communities and their country, uh, we want to be able to remind you of the value in in doing so. And Eric and Mike are a perfect example of this. From EMT to SWAT operator to multi-certification holder in CrossFit, law enforcement, Krav Maga, Fight Club, and MMA, Eric Basic is basically a, a walking lethal weapon with a black belt and an expert title. Yet he harnesses these skills to pursue his true passion, which is impacting the lives of people all over the country. And over the last 10 years, Eric has taught thousands of police officers from all over the country in fitness, defense tactics, use of force, close quarters combat, active shooter, patrol rifle operations, and executive protection. He has trained and continues to train with some of the world's top experts, always seeking to find the most current and most effective tools to pass on to those who rely on these tactics as life-saving skills. Barbara and I interviewed Eric along with his good friend, Mike Gallardo, a combat veteran with his own incredible story of courage and resilience. Mike always lived an active lifestyle, but during a combat tour in Iraq, Mike sustained a severe injury to his leg when two IEDs detonated beneath the truck he was riding in. Mike had to have his leg amputated, but instead of using that as a crutch, he turned it into a way to inspire others. Today, Mike is an adaptive, adaptive athlete and is very active in a number of sports from CrossFit to triathlons. And get this, he recently won an Emmy as well, which is an amazing story in and of itself. And you'll hear that on today's episode. These two men are extraordinary, exceptional, and we are grateful they took the time to share their stories with us on American Snippets. Now, without further ado, here's Barbara Allen with Eric Basic and Mike Gallardo. Hi, I'm Barb Allen here with American Snippets. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Today, we are here with Eric Basic and Mike Gallardo. Did yep. I mess it up that time? No, no, I did. Good. I messed it up a little bit that time, but that's okay. We are here at uh, Blue Titan Fitness in, where, Rock in Rockaway, New Jersey. And these two have such incredible stories. I am not even going to try to tackle them at first. I'm going to go ahead and just jump right in. And we're going to go bit by bit through their stories. And you're going to hear about these exceptional people, what they are doing for law enforcement, for teachers, for our country, and how they are impacting people across the world um, every day in what they do. Hi, guys. Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for having us. <laughs> so we're going to start with you, Eric. Okay. Why don't you take a minute and just fill us in on your background? I know you have a strong law enforcement history. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I came from law enforcement, but before that, um, I was an EMT with my father, volunteered. And uh, when 9-11 hit, I was 19, and um, 
went to New York City with my father. It's, we were on bucket lines. We were there for the first couple of days, and you know, I had always I always enjoyed public service, but for me, it was volunteering at the time wasn't enough, and I, and I wanted to do more. And so at, at that point, I kind of transitioned from education and college and you know book learning to putting on a uniform and and um, public service. So it was a couple of years after that, I actually got hired and went to D.C. Was a police officer for a couple of years. Um, ended up on SWAT team, did some some cool stuff, had a lot of fun, uh, and and started teaching. Uh, so nobody just ends up on a SWAT team. Let's just double back for yeah. a minute. Like you know, I ended up in some cul-de-sac when I took a wrong turn. That's where you end up. You don't just end up in a SWAT yeah, I mean, team. So you know, what did you? you the, our agency had an application. You know, people applied. I, I scored well. I went through the uh, through the SWAT school, and I did well, and I got selected to the team. And, uh, and he fun. got top shot. <laughs> top shot. And you got top He's shot. He's my chops. Yeah. I so do. was there a time even, and I'll stop you along the way to pack, because otherwise I'll forget to go back. So even just starting here, when you were going through the training for the SWAT team, was there ever a moment in that training that you maybe, like, you struggled or hit a down part? or oh, did you all just, the time, yeah. So what would you, can you think of a particular I mean, instance? Running in particular, I think, is very stupid. Uh, thank you. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're like I, my I, first person. I hate running. I was at the back. I was at the back of every pack with somebody pushing me in the back to keep me going. Yeah. I just don't quit. Like, I won't, I won't quit. Um, but, yeah, no, I struggle all the time with everything. Okay. But... You managed to run, good for you, and you got through SWAT, and then what? I uh, did a couple years on the team, um, got promoted, and uh, a couple years back, while I was still in patrol, I, I, I got into um, Krav Maga, which is an Israeli uh, self-defense system, and I started taking it as a, as a practitioner because I wanted to be safer. I, I, I came from Sussex County, New Jersey. There was no crime. And then I went to Washington D.C. and it was uh, quite different. It's almost the same. Not, not quite. <laughs> and and uh, it, honestly, I was I was ill prepared for for Washington D.C. and so I wanted to learn something that might actually keep me safe. Got into Krav Maga, did excelled at it, started teaching, and as time progressed, I started to enjoy teaching, especially teaching law enforcement, more than the actual act of going out and being law enforcement. Um, so in 2011, I opened up a uh, uh, fitness and self-defense gym, Blue Titan, in, in New Jersey. In 2013, I uh, left law enforcement, and I do this full-time. Now, now I teach. Um, te- teach and travel and teach. And you offer courses for free, some some training for free, right? Too long. Yeah, uh, I have a staff of 23 or 24 instructors, and um, I teach a couple of civilian classes, but where my heart is, is definitely military law enforcement. And I run a monthly course for free where uh, cops can come train. We pick a topic. Topic might be nighttime traffic stops. It might be uh, arresting, uh, arresting control, handcuffing. And we'll do a couple hours of training in the mats. And then we'll go out to the parking lot, go out to the street. We have uh, local agencies. We'll donate police cars, and we'll get role players, and we'll do you know an hour or two of training um, with the role players on the street to make it as realistic as possible. My theory being, the better trained the officers are, the better services they provide to the public. And what does that do in terms of helping the officers de-escalate a potentially violent situation without lethal force? Uh, I, self-defense, Krav Maga in general, when I teach, I try to 
convey how important the psychology of, of fighting is. Right? There's a couple of great books. One would be The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker's awesome book on the psychology of fear and, and attacks and uh, all the skills in the world are they're as useless as a snow shovel in Mexico. If you if you can't if you can't call those skills when somebody's actually physically attacking you. And so the psychology of what we teach is really important. And the example I give people is um, criminals, right? Somebody who's robbing people, they're not robbing people to set up a 401k. That, that would be smart, <laughs> but they're, they're, not, they're not robbing you at gunpoint to set up a 401k. So they're robbing you for, for quick, easy money and maybe a little bit for the thrill, but because that's, that's the, the, the sociology of, of, um, of some criminals. But um, they're not going to look for the hard target. Right? They're not going to look for the guy that's walking with his chest up and his shoulders back. They're not going to look for the guy with the tucked-in shirt. Um, if they're on a traffic stop, they're not going to look to attack or, or challenge the police officer that carries himself with more confidence and, and not false bravado, but confidence. And if I were attacking somebody and I was doing it for a quick call, I'd be looking for the easy, easy, easy uh, mark. And police officers that come here and they train and they feel more confident with their hands and they feel like I don't have to go to my gun as much because maybe I'm not as scared because I'm more confident because I've failed a thousand times in the mat room and I've learned to fix myself and make myself better and detect things early on that when it comes to the interactions with the public, good and bad people, um, I find, and I think the statistics will show, that there, there are less incidents of use of force and, and violent encounters between law enforcement and civilians. And so we just walked through your gym on the way up. I see a lot of women out there, too. So clearly you, um, you help women learn these self-defense skills as well. And I know that is, it is emotionally and physically a good thing to learn, too. So the same holds true for a female walking through a parking lot from the mall or, or such. Or I yeah. shouldn't say a mall female. Look at me. I'm not but no, in, in general. <laughs> a female coming from whatever, yeah. surgery. From her construction job. Surgery, from her construction job. No, look, I mean, <laughs> it's fun to train athletes like Mike, like crazy fit athletes. But I get much more fun out of training the person that hasn't worked out in five years or 10 years or 20 years or training somebody who was seriously injured and is in a hospital bed and needs to get out of the hospital. I get more out of that. And that's fitness when it comes to self-defense. I get far more out of training kids and building confidence in school with anti-bully stuff and with training women, especially, you know, you're talking about preteens dealing with going into high school and having to deal with older boys and, and bullying and then uh, girls going into college in that time period where drinking and, and poor decisions might be made under stress. And um, and then parents who are now, like, they're learning self-defense to protect something that they love more than themselves. Right. So, yeah, I get a lot of satisfaction from that. So did I see also that you go you work in schools to teach teachers? Yep. We're going to schools and we – active shooters like a buzzword, right? You know, and, and obviously it's – Two ways to look at everything. Right? Super rare, right? You're more likely to be attacked by a shark. But as a parent myself, like terrifying to send your kid into a school and think that he might not come back. So from an administrative standpoint, when we go into schools and we teach active shooter, which is primarily for us, it's a hand-to-hand, last resort. What if they break in your classroom? Right. right? Obviously, if you can run, awesome. If you can hide and they don't enter your room, awesome. If you have no other choice, better to know something than nothing. And I find Krav to be the best something to know, right? Um, but when it comes to, from an administrative standpoint, the school gets to tell the parents, like, hey, 
This may not work, but our teachers care so much about your kids that they would be willing to fight for them. And I, I, that's where I'd want to send my kids. So how do you get the schools involved in that? I mean, do you call them? Do they call you? How does that work? Mostly they call me. Um, it's, it, they find out that I teach this program. Usually it's a teacher who's a mom. Right. And it's usually female. She'll reach out to me and she'll say, I saw you do this. Carry on. It's possible. I'm <laughs> I'm just um, so they'll reach out and they'll be like, uh, yeah, I, I saw you do this. I really care. I have kids. I want to learn this. Usually the teachers will set it up first because the administration, you know, it's, well, budgets, budgets are a big deal, you know, and they don't know if it's worth it. And so the teachers will bring me in. I usually do a seminar for the teachers. I'll encourage administrators to participate. They'll uh, they'll love it, and they'll end up bringing me in for you know a recurring program, whether it's an in-service training that's voluntary or whether it's you know I go to one school, I go in weekly huh. uh, for the whole school year. So, what do you think the odds are we could get you to train gym teachers, and our kids could learn that instead of like volleyball? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm biased, right? I, I know, um, I know, right? But it I, seems like much. such a handy skill to, to have and to learn. Well, it's the intangibles. It's not, forget, forget about fighting. Talk about the confidence. It, that's so, exactly it. It's the mindset. And, and the, 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 the health that, that comes with it, yes. right? Fitness comes with, that's why cardio kickboxing is so big, mm-hmm. right? Fitness comes with learning self-defense. So there, there are a lot of intangibles. I mean, you touched on every, you hit so many spectrums of people. You hit law enforcement, you hit military, you hit teachers and athletes and children. And I think the one, I mean, what's missing? Nothing's missing. You, you have managed well, I, to hit can, everything. How do you do that? I, I like, I like people. Yeah. Yeah. Most, most people. Most people. Most yeah. people. Yeah. Well, that's good. So you have interesting people come into your gym sure and interesting. You probably have a bunch of fun stories. I do. A bunch of cool stories. This is one cool story, correct? Yeah, Mike, <laughs> Mike is definitely a cool story. Uh, I told you earlier, Mike's a guy who, you know, when, when doctor told him, you know, you, you might be able to walk with a cane, he's like, oh, okay, I'll go do the Kona Ironman, which is like supposed to be the toughest one in the world to do. And, and I think he did it like nine months after his amputation. What took you so long? Uh, I don't <laughs> that know. That was the first thing I said. <laughs> See, before I start talking about myself, right? <laughs> I always got to mention, like, you know, the most valuable thing that I treasure and probably most people who are really smart and everything is time, right? That's something that you can't get back. And this man right here, I got to say, is like devoted to helping just everybody. Um, and I can never, ever speak enough about him because in, in reality, like this guy helps everybody. And he hasn't even talked about the, the Marine cadets that he helps um, prepare to to go into, you know, the Marines and stuff. And no, you haven't talked about yeah, that. Yeah. And see, okay. <laughs> I, I put him on so the So we're going to get him. Yeah. Okay. We're going to go back before okay. he forgets. Hold, please. Yeah, we're going to go exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about the Marine cadets. Uh, there, there's a recruiting office around the corner and, um, they bring their pulleys here. Um, I, I do it as often as I can, as often as we can get them here, but they'll bring 30 or 40 pulleys here. And, um, 30, 40, what? A uh, pulley. So, so guys that have, Signed up, right? They've they've sworn their oath, but they, their ship date is in a month, two months, three months, six months. And some of them, it's because they need to get in better shape. Some of them, it's because they have to graduate high school. Some of them, it's because they're finishing college. And um, during that time, the uh, recruiters will get together with them on weekends and put them through training to try and expose them to stuff. A lot of these they're kids, they're right. seventeen years old, and and to expose them to stuff before a boot camp. 
and uh, I will I will put them through uh, the ringer. We'll, we'll bring them here and we treat them like they're in boot camp. I you know. Uh, I try to give them the closest possible experience to being in boot camp, and I'll bring Mike and I'll bring other veterans that I work with who can. You know, I have a law enforcement background, but they have they have not only a veteran background, but they have a combat, combat yeah. background. And um, there's something about being 17 years old. We go to a local beach and do flutter kicks in the lake, and it's you know 40 degrees outside. It's pretty cold, and there's something about having this guy, you know, motivating you that. Um, I believe inspires them, and uh, from what I've what I've heard, uh, it inspires them quite a bit. So, do these kids ever come back and visit you, and let you know? Yeah, they they come back. In fact, um, usually after they graduate boot, they they come home for a couple weeks before they go to their their, um, their MOS school, their their um, job job school, job training. That one I know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and. Um, they'll get assigned to the recruiting office and oftentimes it's to speak to other recruits and, you know, do admin work and things like that. And, um, this is the, the, the couple of times it's happened, uh, recently that, that, that this is one of the events they look forward to. It's, it's, it's something that I definitely enjoy. That sounds like an, a really great way. You know, everyone talks about transitioning out of the military, yeah, this is the but this is a great way to transition in, you know, you can sure. get your ass kicked here and then go home and like cry to your mom, maybe. And, and then you have to get up and do it the next day, but as opposed to going directly from home to an environment that you're confident and comfortable in and getting thrown right yeah. in that with no reprieve. So no, we that, that sounds like actually sheer genius. Like it's awesome. they do this everywhere. We, uh, we hit them with the, the hose and, you know, cold water and put them in formation and make them do team building exercises. And it, I mean, it's not anybody can make somebody run until they can't run anymore, but it's very, you know, it's the lessons that I've taken from SWAT school and from law enforcement and he's taken from the military. And it is very much as, as the, to the best of our ability in two hours, break them down, build them up as a team and give them a little taste of what they're going to experience in, in boot camp. Awesome. Back to you. See, I wish I had that when, when I first joined. I bet because you do. in the beginning, yeah. I was by myself. So, you know, it was really hard for me to like transition from a civilian to the military because where I'm from, you know, it's, it was pretty dangerous. So nobody told you what to do. So going into basic training and somebody telling you what to do, you're like, F that. And then, you know, they're like, do PT. And I was a PT stud. So I was like, you want me to do PT? I'll do PT all day. I don't care about getting in trouble. And then after they got my soft spot, my soft spot, which was like, don't have me watch and everybody else does PT. So I was like, dang, all right, you know, I I can't mess around no more. Cause then, you know, like you go to sleep and you get a, you get a sock party. So they don't do that anymore. No, can't do that. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sure nobody does anything like that. (laughs) So share with us now a little bit of your story. Um, All right. A lot of it. Share a lot of it. (laughs) I'll just start from the meat potatoes, right? Um, I joined almost right after high school. So I went to college. uh, I got scholarship for baseball. And um, I was really good. You know, who knows if I would have been a professional baseball player or not, but... In my mind, I was going to be because that's just how I think. Like, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to go to the very top, and and that's how I'm going to succeed. Um, And then 9-11 happened, and I just felt like it was a sign because my birthday is actually on September 11th. And and I was nervous about joining the military. Uh, Nobody in my family has ever done it, and I... So, like, in my neighborhood, all the shops or the military is, like, in one, like, store, right? So, they're, like, in four cubicles. 
I just open the door. I say, whatever, which one the first one is, that's what I'm going to join. I'm going to do some badass shit. All right? So I open the door, and they're like, it just so happened to be the army. So I was like, hey, what are you guys short on? That's what I want to be. And I want to jump out of helicopters, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And they're like, oh, well, we're short on uh, 19 Deltas. I was like, whatever that is, sign me up. They didn't even know what it was. And they're like, oh, you could be a scout recon. So you work in small teams, you gather intel, and then you, you push it down to the bigger groups. And they're like, it's pretty dangerous because, you know, you're spying on people and you're only working in a three-man group. And, uh, you know, if they catch you, you're pretty assed out. I was like, that sounds perfect. Like, the odds are against me. I want that. And um, so I joined, went to basic training. And like I said, I had a hard time in the beginning because people tell me what to do. It just it wasn't happening. And um, got in a bunch of fights and stuff like that. And like I said, once they reached my soft spot and figured out, like, hey, this is how we're going to make you suffer, then I actually started becoming a team player. And I think it, like, really transformed me because I was never like that, like how I am now. Like a team player, I was always an individual, always just worrying about myself, um, besides my brothers. And uh, I'll go through that story. And so we got deployed maybe, like, six months after I joined. <laughs> they like your story. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and um, we did a bunch of uh, missions, and I got hit about 26 times by IEDs. Um, so I wonder, like, I think to myself, should I have 26 purple hearts, you know? But Probably. I never really got injured, you know, shrapnel, concussions, and stuff like that. Um, and that was pretty much it. So I call them, like, light IEDs. Like, but then you realize, like, man, is there such a thing as a light IED, like a small IED? And heck no. You think about it, like, there's bombs, like, big concussions and metal flying at you and stuff. So I really never thought about it until after I got out. And um, February, we got, like, a big battalion-sized mission, which is about, like, 2,000, 3,000 people. And we had gathered the intel where this guy knew at least somewhat of the hideout of Osama bin Laden. Somewhere like of his whereabouts, and he had intel. So they're like, hey, we need you guys to go and clear the route for us. Um, and you're not going to have any help. You guys are leading us. So at 2 in the morning, we're like, all right, whatever. This is our job. We got to do it. So we do it. Uh, we encounter a couple of IEDs, nothing crazy. So we're like, all right, you know, we go to checkpoint, and then we're like, it's clear. They follow, and we keep going. And so we come across this bridge, and we already know that's, like, trouble because the bridge is a one-way in, one-way out. It's like a dead trap. So we're like, all right. So then we send out some dismounts and stuff like that, and we start crossing out the bridge or crossing the bridge, and one IED blew up. So it wasn't that big, but it was a daisy chain IED, which means there was multiple IEDs. And um, as we were crossing the bridge, there was the foot-mounted patrol on the side, and we saw them, so we tried shooting an IED that we had saw, and from far away, really pitch dark. It looks really small, like small as this microphone or something. And um, as we started going, we're like, dude, we're gonna have to run over this IED. And so we decided to run it over. And as we got closer, the IED just got bigger and bigger and bigger. So we're just like, holy shit. Like, you know, if we run this over with the Humvee tire, it's gonna absorb everything, you know, rubber and everything. So. And it pretty much did. And again, the, the engine had a uh, foul out of the Humvee. And then after um, I blew out the truck um, and my other guys were unconscious. So 
I saw that my TC, the truck commander, the guy who does all the stuff, I was a gunner, the guy who sticks out and most likely gets diapers. And, uh, you know, I wanted that responsibility because, you know, I couldn't imagine living with myself saying like, hey, I could have done something and this guy passed away because I wasn't in charge. So I always wanted to be that guy um, to sacrifice himself for anybody else. And... You know, so we ran over the IED and I saw my truck commander unconscious and I thought he was dead. So I, I, I panicked, right? And I went to the door, I tried to open it and it wasn't coming loose. So I put my foot on the door to try to pry it open for some extra strength. And next thing you know, like I just felt some heat and I, I'm like in so much pain. So I looked down and my Achilles tendon was mounted from the truck um, door because it was still like on fire. And um, and I, I just passed out. Next thing you know, I woke up in the hospital and the only thing I could really think about was like if my truck commander had died or not. And then I didn't find anything out to like maybe three months later where he actually called me and like just started crying. Like I was finally relieved because I couldn't sleep, couldn't do anything and my mind was nothing. It, it was just on that whether he had lived or not and I couldn't live with myself like if he had passed away and so I got a call later and I was just like thank god you know like to this day like I could feel that emotion like of of relief you know and um so I, I still had my limb and they were had I had like maybe 10 surgeries and you know it sounds like a lot but then like you think about all these guys who are like burn victims and stuff like that they have hundreds and I was tired with 10 so I was just like that was about six seven months uh with 10 surgeries and trying to fix it and screws and nuts and bolts in my leg trying to like put it together I just said doc it's not working let's just amputate it and he's like no give me about like three or six more tries I'm like, dude, are you crazy? Like, I ain't trying to do that shit. Like, just chop that shit off and let's go. And he was like, all right, whatever. And so next thing you know, I had the amputation. And, you know, I was like, I had the amputation. And finally sunk in, like, what the heck am I going to do with my life? Like, I can't run anymore. I can't do anything because this is what the doctors tell me, right? And so, like, for a day, I felt, I felt sorry for myself. Like, oh, man, like, what am I going to do? Like, I was asking myself that question pretty sure everybody does you know and then you know I, I said to myself I thought about like things that my mom had told me and stuff like that and you know she just said never quit no matter you know no matter what like just always fight it out so you know I finally snapped out of it and said you know what like I'm just gonna do the rehab and I'm just gonna I'm gonna fight through it and then I started thinking like fuck the doctor dude you know like I'm gonna do I'm gonna I'm gonna do I'm gonna prove him wrong so I started thinking, like, what's the hardest thing? Like a marathon, um, swimming, like running, like what's the hardest thing? And I thought, I, I saw like this Ironman. I was like, oh, that's cool. It's Ironman. So then like I met somebody who'd done an Ironman before and he competed. And I was like, hey, what's like the toughest Ironman that you, you could possibly do? He's like, oh, the Kona. And I was like, all right. So I had no idea what it was. And I looked it up and I said, all right, I'll do that one. It's in Hawaii. Why not? I've never been there before, so I get to, you know, check it out after. So I started training for it. Next thing you know, like, I find out what an actual Ironman is. <laughs> and it was like a 2.5-mile swim, you know, 112-mile bike. And then after that 112-mile bike, you got to run a marathon. So in my head, I was like, dude, I must be nuts. What did I sign up for? Because, like, 
my, for my for me, it's like I just sign up and they'll think about it and just do it. And then eventually I'll realize what I actually signed up for. And so I started training for it and I did like one before it and I said, all right, I got this. You know, I tested the waters. I did like a half Ironman and it took me about like eight hours. So I was like, all right, I guess I got to double this and I'll be out there for 16 hours. So my goal was to be 15 hours and like, oh, well, it was before 16 hours, but I wanted to try 15. So I ended up doing it, flew to Hawaii and this was like 2009. And I was shaking like, you know, nine months into it. I'm like into my amputation and I'm like, you know what? 16 hours. It's just 16 hours. And I started thinking about it. Like, why am I like, I, if I thought about 16 hours, I already had failed. So I just said, you know what? One stroke at a time for swimming, for cycling one revolution at a time and from running one step at a time. So as I got there, you know, it started getting easier and easier. Like, oh man, like I'm tired, but you know what? It's just one more stroke, one more stroke. Same thing with the bike, man, I'm tired, but it's just one more revolution, one more revolution. And then once I got off the bike though, mentally I hit the wall and it said, damn, I still had 26 miles to go, right? So like mentally I fucked myself and I started walking. I said, bitch, stop walking. So I started running, right? This Me and my, my brothers always say this. Like, we watch Friday. You watch that movie Friday? No. Oh, man. I know. He, he, I know always, he says, <laughs> he tells, stop being a bitch and come home, Craig. So, like, this big dude, you know, and this small dude has to fight the big dude. He says that. Like, stop being a bitch and come home, Craig. So... I told myself that mentally, it makes me laugh. So I just said, all right, one step, one step at a time. So then that's how I, you know, eventually succeeded. And I got like 15 hours and 34 minutes or something like that. Um, so then, he's crazy. <laughs> so then I thought about like, what am I gonna do next? All right, and then I started doing like, somebody's like, you should try CrossFit. You'd probably be really good at it. So then I started doing it. And then after I was like, oh man, I'm getting really good at this, like really good. And so I started doing competitions and then like started placing like top, top half. And like, this was like able-bodied people. So I'm facing people with like regular two legs, two arms, whatever. And they're just like looking at me like, dude, who is this guy? So then I got like really popular from just doing competitions and like just doing a whole bunch of placements and like winning all the adaptive ones. And, you know, it's, it was pretty cool. Like, you know, just being a, really at that elite, elite at, uh, level. And so I wanted to, I, I got done with that and I said like, you know, this is still like, I'm, I'm missing something. So then I had met Eric and I was really shy at this time. Didn't speak to anybody. I went to the competitions. I did the competition. That was it. I went to my bedroom and that was it. Like, that's all I did. That I just wanted hard to imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, once I met Eric, like, you know, he, he helped me out. Like he only get a service dog and that service dog just opened doors oh, wide great. open like because everybody comes up to me and me when everybody everybody and they're like oh my gosh cute dog and then you know eric's had always helped me like improve my speech and i used to stutter a lot more and couldn't start conversations so that was my problem um i wasn't like scared of anything but what i was doing was scared of talking to people and you know even uh, my childhood, you know, like I was always like friendly and stuff, but then, you know, as a veteran and people shooting at you overseas, like, you don't want, you don't know who to trust. So like, I didn't go through that transition of, from military to civilian. And so it's hard to trust people when they're just constantly trying to blow you up and shoot at you and stuff like that. So, you know, helping, getting people like Eric again, sacrificing his time to, to help me 
you know, transition to that civilian. So how did you guys meet then? In a competition. In a competition that he went to, yeah. We, we flew him there and covered his travel expenses so he could participate. It was a charity-wide, a charity workout for, for, um, for a soldier that was killed. And, and we met and we just, we just started doing some, some charity stuff together. Then you realize you live in the same... He didn't live here. I, yeah, I actually moved here maybe about a year and a half ago. Wow. Yeah. Mike... Um, that could be like more stories. I could go on for yeah. days, you know. So, I, I, so Major League Baseball had, offers interns for wounded service members, and he applied. It was in graphic design. He had no experience, but nice. basically told them like, "I'll work harder than anybody else." They hired him. He successfully completed the internship. They offered him a job, and now he has an Emmy. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So again, like, so now you, know, you have an Emmy. You know, so you yeah. do Konas and you have an Emmy and what else does it do? Well, that's the thing too. It's like, it, it's funny because, you know, people work their whole lives to get one Emmy. Yes, and yes like, they do. you know, it, it was pretty cool to, you know, work there for a year and, and help a team, you know, again, like this is all like a team building thing where people support you. People like want to encourage you to do better. And that's why like, I always tell veterans to hang out with people like Eric. They always improve your life. Yeah. And the thing is, it's like you guys help each other without even knowing. Like we both, you know, improve each other's lives. And everybody around like that we go because of positivity, the the success that we have in our lives, the drive that we have to succeed. And, you know, a lot of people always ask me like if the IED, my leg was the worst thing that ever happened to me. And I tell them, no, that was like just a paper cut, you know. Um, and the worst thing that ever happened to me was when I was 10 years old, my mom had passed away from cancer and she was only 37 years old. So me and my brothers had to survive on our own. None of my other family members wanted to help us out. Nobody wanted to do this. But my mom was very smart and succeeded, succeeded in life. She bought her own house, so we were able to stay there. It had like an acreage and it was in Los Angeles. So, you know, a house like that with the acreage in Los Angeles worth a lot of money. Um, you know, so when I was you know, 11 years old, I had skipped school, talking about bullying and stuff like that, which I had that when I was smaller. And I always had to defend myself because I took a year off of school so that I could help my brother. My brother was a junior in high school, so he was able to take care of us, but he couldn't go to school. So I, I missed school and I would literally like go to Costco and like buy M&Ms and stuff like those big packs and I sell them and we get money that way. I go cut people's yards and stuff like that. So we had to survive at such a young age to go. And so even though the the death of my mother was very like awful, it still brought us together stronger to survive and to get that will ever since I were little to succeed. So that in itself was probably the hardest thing. And you know, even even now, me and my brothers, we always just, you know, try to make her proud by not only speaking about her name, but succeeding, getting people, other people to succeed because that's all she did. I remember uh, one story uh, when I was maybe, I don't even know how I remember this because my memory is so horrible. So I was eight years old and every year we, for Easter, we would go out and we hand out baskets. And she'd buy like those big, like five gallon things, like baskets and put like a hundred dollars worth of toys and candies and stuff like that. And uh, she worked two jobs, you know, single mother. And we would go out there and she literally sell these tubs for like 20 bucks and they were worth like a hundred. And so I never really got it. And then until like another family came and they couldn't afford the 20 bucks and it was our last tub. And like the kids started crying and stuff and they started walking away 
And she's like, go get them. And I was like, why would you go get them? You can't afford it, you know? And, and I was small. Like, I didn't know any better. So she just smacked me right in the head. Go do what I told you to do. Go get them. And she gave them the tub. And from there, that changed my whole life of, like, always trying to help people. And from there, like, you know, just the 10 years I had with her, she taught me so much, you know? And uh, every day I, I thank her for that because I probably, in 10 years, had the best mother ever, you know? So... That is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that is, wow. That you are, I don't even know the words to, to say that. I mean, you are absolutely a, a role model for anybody. And and I, I say this knowing that you have moments where maybe you don't feel so great or maybe you're not so pleasant. Like being a role model or being somebody who inspires others doesn't mean you have to be up all the time. It just means yeah. you have to get back up after you get down, right? And, you know, so you just keep doing that. And, and that's the thing, like, you know, yeah, I have so much, like, success, right, or whatever, like, what people see as success, but, like, when I hang out with people like Eric, like, yourself, like, that's not success, like, the Emmys and all this stuff, like, that's cool and all, but how many people have I impacted since I've been alive? How many people have I helped? And when you hang out with people like that, like, your success just keeps growing and growing because that stuff really is just material stuff. It really doesn't matter, and and that's why I like hanging out with people like Eric, such yourself like I'm very thankful that you're here and I'm so glad that we are here and I'm so glad you guys took the time especially today um, you know when you're not maybe at the top of your game but you guys are doing such amazing <laughs> amazing things and um, I can't wait to keep following your stories and checking in on you and um, now we got your numbers so maybe a restraining order involved if we <laughs> if we keep calling too much or whatever no but, never um, Really, thank you. Well, thank you for your service. Thank you thank for you. your service. I know people, or I don't know people, but I imagine a lot of emphasis is put on military, and maybe sometimes law enforcement gets overlooked. But yeah, there's a little bit of that. I remember being out with my wife in D.C., and I remember this guy walked up to me and was like, hey, you look like you're in the military. Just grabbed my hand and started shaking it. He goes, I just want to thank you for your service. And he said, well, actually, I'm a police officer. And he yanked his hand away, oh, and he was, like, he was like, never mind. Turned around and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, um, yeah, we definitely get overlooked a little bit and, you know, maybe some of it is our own fault, you know, maybe we separate ourselves a little bit from, from the people we're supposed to be serving, but, uh, um, it's definitely part of the reason why I offered the training while we started the charity for law enforcement. Too. Yeah. I mean, so you do community, everything you do, not only are you equipping people to equip themselves, but you're also doing same community relations. I mean, for law enforcement all over the country, and especially in these times, you know, where there's always Very so much hatred you know, for law enforcement. I, the only problem I have is when I get a ticket, right? Like the rest of the world. But, but um, you know, you guys have come through so many of you. I know law enforcement officers, and I know their wives, and I know their families, what they go through. And um, it is it is another calling that you really just have to be completely committed to. My grandfather was deputy inspector at NYPD, so yeah, I, used to, I grew up hearing his stories, right? Um, but it is it is just important to remember to thank you guys, too. And the, stuff, the work you're doing, I imagine, just builds such great relationships out there for them. You put your, you're even helping them in that way. Like maybe somebody that you're impacting, you're teaching, you're doing, is going to have a negative experience with a law enforcement officer. And instead of like just instantly getting angry, maybe they think of you and they're like, Hey, you know, I hope there's so. two sides. I mean, uh, Zig Ziglar is famous for saying, you know, if you 
help enough people get what they want, you'll eventually have everything you want. And uh, I, I, I believe that through and through, for sure. I think I think American Snickers, well, we do too. That's that's why we're out here doing this. So thank you again so much. If people want to learn more about you and all the organizations you're involved in, I know we only touched on, really, it, what uh, else is there that we have not touched I mean, that I, I would send people to our charity. Um, our, our website is uh, um, staysafefoundation.org. Okay. Stay safe is kind of, you know, when police officers chat with each other, um, you know, before they leave or part ways or, you know, whatever, um, go their separate ways for the day or end a phone call, they'll either often will say be safe or stay safe to each other because um, we just, we know that that could be the last conversation we have with each other. And uh, so that's that's kind of where I got the name Stay Safe Foundation Door. So what does that organization do? Um, twofold, right? So for the last five years, I've been doing a lot of work with, vener- with uh, veterans and uh, mentoring. So we take guys like Mike who have, you know, quote unquote recovered recovery is you know an ongoing process, but somebody's definitely on the on the better side. And we use him to mentor guys that are not on the better side. And because he is a veteran, because he's been in their shoes, he can relate. And it's a lot different than a civilian coming in with a free t shirt, you know, saying, Hey, you know, go to my Alaskan fishing cruise. Yes. Not that that's not cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. a lot different than Mike going in there and being like, I had a rough day, like I've been there. And then um, the other side is is what I'm currently doing for law enforcement, uh, but it's to come up with funding so I can do more of it, do, or just offering free training to as many cops as I can all over the country. So then go to staysafefoundation.org. Staysafefoundation.org, and there's avenues there for them to donate they, or become They can donate or they can reach out for help. Yep. Or reach out for help. For sure. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Is there a website that you have or something no. that you would direct people to? To Just stay safe foundation. Stay safe. You're yep. with that too. Okay. Yep. All right. So there's nothing. I love it. Yeah. You love it? Yeah. You know, it's, it's like you said, you know, you know, it's how many people you touch and how many people you yeah. help in this world that that's going to make your name that much more better. It's like your legacy too. Yeah. It's like you're living your legacy. And that the only thing in this life you can control is your behavior. Yeah. That's it. That is true. Well, do you have... Any, is there some last word of advice in terms of this interview? Anyway, last words of advice, but something that you would say to people who know who maybe are watching and and still thinking, well, whatever. Here's all the reasons that they did it, but still in their head, ticking through all the reasons why they can't. And, you know, is there something you can say to them to help them get unstuck in their mind? This is what always helps me, <laughs> yeah. and it's what my mom said. She always said, no matter what it is you do, no matter what it. Do your fucking best, right? So she even worded it like that too. Do your fucking best, and then she said, you know, if you work for McDonald's and you're flipping hamburgers, fucking flip fifty of them. Be the best hamburger flipper there is, right? So no matter what it is you do, do your fucking best. All right, I think that's a profound to the point. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it, folks. Thanks again for tuning in to today's show. Uh, That wraps up this snippet. Be sure to check out the featured piece we did on Eric uh, Basic by heading over to americansnippets.com forward slash 016. Barbara uh, wrote an amazing article on Eric. Um, It's a great read. You can also re-listen to this podcast there and actually see the full interview we did with Eric uh, and Mike Gallardo. Uh, And next week, uh, you're going to want to check out the the 
featured article that we actually do on Michael Otto that's going to come out next week. So be sure to check that out as well. If you want to learn more about Eric, Mike, and Blue Titan Fitness, just visit the website at bluetitanfitness.com. Uh, we hope you love this this snippet as much as we did. And if you did, we would really appreciate it if you like and share this with your friends. Share it on social media. Tag us on Instagram at American Snippets and tell us what you thought. Uh, also, follow us on our mission to seek out more individuals like Eric Basic and Mike Gallardo. Help us share their stories and strengthen their efforts. You can do that by subscribing to our newsletter at americansnippets.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. A simple review on iTunes can go a long way. It's basically how we get discovered on iTunes. Uh, and, you know, to get these stories found by more people, uh, leaving a review uh, can be, can play a big role in that. Uh, so the more people who discover us, you know, the more people we can impact. One more thing before I let you go. This episode is brought to you by Real Estate Worldwide. And as a business coach myself at Real Estate Worldwide and, in a, and a real estate investor, I fully understand why real estate is one of the fastest and most lucrative ways to generate a positive cash flow and to create an income. But the key is having the right blueprint. So head on over to americansnippets.com forward slash R-E-W-W and sign up for a free training presentation. If you've ever been interested in real estate, our community and proven systems can absolutely fast track your results and your success. So that's all we got for you today. That wraps up today's show. Again, this is American Snippets. We are living, defending, and promoting the American dream. And remember, as Americans, it's just not our right to pursue our dreams. It's our duty to help others do the same. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. 